at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, and welcome to the post-heart attack edition of Troy Noons, is an absolute podcast. Yes, the heart health challenge presented by Syracuse Sports and the good people at Troy Noons is an absolute magician. Uh, before we jump into what was a very fun slash very terrifying evening, I uh, just want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. Uh, as you all know, they're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment, and you can get ebooks there wherever and whenever you want um, at Audible.com. Uh, if you want a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial of the service, you can also go to Audible.com slash Magician. That's it. Excuse me. That's Audible Podcast dot com slash news magician and you'll be able to uh, grab yourself a 30-day free trial and a free download um so yeah we're coming at you from uh from our respective living rooms across the country but right after what was a uh an interesting wake forest game that we happened to win by stroke of luck and rocky and christmas yeah that's pretty much uh the entirety of it um, and, you know, Cooney and Benajay did their part, too. But, man, that was pretty terrifying. Um, we had the the classic uh, random guy who scores, like, seven points a game, comes off the bench to score 26 um, and shoot insanely. Um, we had a uh, requisite, you know, all, uh, a half-court shot went in and a, a, what would have been a game-tying half-court shot or – like three-quarter court shot almost went in the next half for uh, after at the end of overtime. So that was fun. Um, we had a team that's normally like a 63% free throw shooting team shoot like almost 75%. That was fun. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of stuff that, you know, isn't usually in the cards for a team that comes into the Terrier Dome went well, and uh, Wake Forest, Demon Deacons almost knocked off the orange. So, Nothing we haven't seen before, but always uh, good to revisit these these great trends that we've developed over the last couple of years of the program. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's funny because I feel like before every game we kind of joke about the, the random white guy gets off the bench and, and, and scores from three as he never has in his career. Um, and, and I think a lot of outside commentators use that as the main – kind of the main way of uh, – of taking apart the zone, um, but it, it's become very odd how much it happens. Like I, I'd say, it used to happen every so often, and we just kind of talk, joke about it, like it happened all the time. Now it's actually happening all the time, and uh, it's, it's definitely providing for some pretty scary moments um, for Orange fans, especially tonight. Um, yeah, you know, when the uh, the Greek kid, he uh, he was what. I think he scored five points combined the last two games, and he goes off for 26 tonight. Yeah, and I mean, it's maybe not quite as infuriating as when Louisville did it to us twice in the same year with two different people, uh, with Kirik and Mara, neither of whom played a lot of minutes at the time. Um, but it does seem like it's happening, you know, at least a couple times a season, which is very frustrating. Uh, especially when we don't have that happen. Like, we don't have Ron Patterson go out there and, and shoot, like, hit five threes in a game. 
Ron Patterson goes out there and shoots bricks and plays pretty good defense, and that's why he plays. But like we don't have the the sparks off the bench. Maybe it's because Beheim plays a a pretty you know thin rotation, but uh, it's all we got. And it'd be nice if one of our our unexpected guys would uh would come out of nowhere for a huge game like that. But I guess uh, I guess it's on the cards for for the old orange. <laughs> it never is for some reason. Um, again, you know, as we kind of hinted at, like this isn't something that we ever see SU really do. Bayon's rotations don't really allow for it. We don't. We just don't have these random guys. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I guess we can kind of. We don't want to take away too much from uh, what'll appear on the site in the morning. You know, some five takeaways and stuff like that. But what's your big positive takeaway first? We'll kind of go talk through those and then go to some negative takeaways from from this game. Um, positive has to be Christmas. I mean, he's just unbelievable. Uh, we, I, I put it out there on Twitter, um, and maybe someone will, will write this stuff later in the week. But, um, basically you could make a very strong argument that Christmas is having the best, uh, single season for Syracuse since, well, I think you can, you go back pretty safely to West Johnson. And if you really want to, you can probably go back to Hakeem Warwick. And that's not being, that crazy. He's averaging heading into tonight. He was averaging seventeen and one, seventeen point one, and eight point nine rebounds and two point four blocks. Um, and tonight he put up thirty five nine. Uh, only one block tonight. Uh, hit I think seven. His last seven uh, free throws, which are all crucial. Um, it might actually be more than that. I think he was one for his first four and finished nine of twelve. So what he hit his last eight. Um, just a, a really crazy game for him and. He's becoming a player that he can manage his fouls. He played the last, uh, I think he got his fourth foul not that late into the game. I think there were six minutes left in regulation. So he played the last 11 minutes oh, without picking up the fifth foul. Um, he was the go-to player on offense repeatedly, aside from the occasion where, you know, the occasions where Cooney would hit something crazy or Benajay when he wasn't uh, throwing up um, unfortunate you know, Miss Leia said the buzzer was having a pretty nice game otherwise. He's only finished in single digits once and in Cal. Uh, he's netted five double-doubles and come very close a number of other times. Like, he's just been so consistently good. Um, I saw well, – I forgot what ACC writer it was. It wasn't a Syracuse writer. Um, but he uh, he's – like, there's not that many big men in the country that are very good. Um, there are a couple in Kentucky. There are a couple like, here and there. Montrose Harold obviously registers that he's you know a little more of a four than a five. But there's no reason why Christmas shouldn't be very heavily considered for first team All American this year. He's playing that well, and the rest of the team has a lot of issues. There are really only three players that we can go to on a consistent basis for points. Um, and you know teams do their best to take, to take Cooney away, so that's not always available. Um, and Christmas still just gets his, and he does it very efficiently, and he's clearly the leader of the team. So I, I, I think I saw Matt McCluskey tweeted earlier, like if you're you can get down on the Syracuse team, and that's fine, it's understandable considering some how good some of the teams in the past have been. But Christmas is having a special season, and if you're not paying attention or you're you're getting down on this team, you really are missing out on what is one of the best seasons we've seen in uh, in recent years. Oh, very much agreed, and, you know, I, I've mentioned it too. This is one of those things where if this is any Syracuse team in the last four years, um, you know, we quickly, um, you know, rush to call him player of the year candidate, and we actually wouldn't be on that far off base. I mean, the guy has has just completely um, changed his game, dominated um, in just about every facet. He he is the glue that holds uh, a very, very young team together um, and really helps make up for um, some some efficiencies on both ends of the floor. Um, You know, for, I think, much of the rest of the team. Looking through the box score, it's just wild to see. Um, You know, I think some mentioned in advance that, like, while it was unfortunate to have McCullough out, obviously, um, you know, Roberson in the starting role could probably do very well on the board still, which he did. Um, and then Michael Benajay, uh, like you said, beyond that, that missed layup had a very good game. 
Um, you know, I had 17, uh, 11, and 7, only, almost a triple-double uh, for him. But 11 boards for Benajay, considering where he plays on the floor, um, is nice. And it's it's kind of a reoccurring trend for him of late uh, to see him jump in there and really, uh, you know, really be active uh, on both ends. I mean, he had three offensive, eight defensive rebounds. Uh, so I think a nice game from him um, on the positive side. Uh, Trevor Cooney also, uh, I, I think I think we were, we've been talking about Cooney for so long as, you know, I think he finally gets it again, that now like his resurgence is not even a story because we're kind of used to it, but it's still, it's still great to me to see, um, you know, him as a player, you know, it, it took a while. He needed some time to get his head back on straight, um, find a shooting stroke from two, find other ways to contribute to the game. And now he's actually back to hitting from three, um, which is, you know, absolutely awesome. On the negative side, however, not for Cooney, but in general, um, you know, we still have a, a lot of issues with this team. I think Joseph uh, not really being able to play in crunch time because of the defensive lapses, that's a negative. Um, DJ Johnson and Ron Patterson did not look great tonight. Um, and that was a big problem. I think even even more stark is just how how much we had to run with these starters. And if we can't rest our starters at all, or most of our starters at all, in, in a game against one of our weaker opponents left in Wake Forest, then, you know, what does that mean for the rest of the season when we still have a lot of really tough games left? Um, and I just don't think it's it's conceivable that guys like Christmas and Benajay, uh, both of whom were playing four fouls late for a while, um, and managed to, to stay on the court. Like, how are we going to, you know, stick with the Dukes and, and stick with even the teams like NC State and Pitt and Notre Dame? How are we going to stick with all of those teams um, when we were only looking at at seven guys? Yeah, it, it's going to be a struggle, especially because, um, you know, Roberson's a nice player. He gives a lot of effort. Uh, he had that huge rebound today which was a, a very important play. Um, so I, I think, you know, he's not a great shooter. He hit a, a couple big ones today, but he also took some that were just really ugly. Um, but I think for the most part, he kind of knows what he is. I'd like to see him not linger on the perimeter so much, but, um, you know, maybe he has to for spacing or whatnot. But DJ and, and Patterson, we, we're really going to need one of them to be at least like a guy that teams have to have to respect a little bit. And Patterson has no no fear of shooting. That's very clear. He shot, you know, he did shot today. Uh, BJ seems pretty hesitant, even though he's supposed to be, you know, one of the best shoot, better shooters on the team. He just hasn't found it. And I don't know if that's because he hasn't enough time or or he's just, you know, hasn't learned to, to translate that to the actual beams. But, I mean, it'd be huge if he could give us something. But then when you have Caleb, who um, clearly since Beheim told him not to be a shooter, he took that to heart. Uh, and took that to mean to, like, never shoot a jump shot ever um, unless it's, like, the end of the shot clock. And he's passed up on so many wide-open looks the last couple of days. Uh, it's been a little disconcerting. Like, I, I don't think he should be taking, you know, force threes. I don't think he should be taking, you know, heat check shots. But he's passed up on wide-open attempts um, that, you know, a decent college basketball player could knock down with some regularity. So hopefully he starts to add that – uh, you know, a little more aggressiveness back into his game now that he's he's playing a much better floor game now, which is good. Um, but also the defense is an issue, which is why Patterson plays all of crunch time now, which then brings back the issue of Patterson is, uh, you know, can be a little bit of a ball stopper, but also takes pretty bad shots and, and doesn't make a lot of them. So uh, we just need one of those three to really give us something on offense because otherwise we're playing – pretty much three on, on five most of the time with Roberson being like maybe like three and a half on five, I guess. Uh, so that's an issue. And then if we could get like five minutes at a Chino, uh, that'd be great. But obviously that wasn't going to happen tonight because Christmas was on fire and uh, just couldn't, we couldn't get them off before. So I don't know. Uh, depth is going to be an issue. Like it still often is for Syracuse. Um, and that's why this Matola injury, he wasn't playing that well, but I think he was important for, how the offense looked because he was a threat from all over the floor. Uh, and just just the extra fouls, the extra manpower. I mean, even even when he wasn't shooting well, he was still grabbing boards pretty uh, well. And he played pretty good defense, recorded a bunch of blocks. So 
it's a big loss um, either way, and I, I do feel really bad for him. No, as do I. I, I, I think that we're going to see plenty of in, in between tonight and, and in the next few games, plenty of, oh, maybe the offense ran better without McCullough and, and maybe this team would need McCullough. And, and I don't agree with that at all. Um, I know you don't either. Um, but do you think that this offense is different uh, without McCullough? And, and that can be, that could be good. That could be bad. That could just be, you know, just plain old different that, that it seems like there's a different tone of things. And, and it seems that it kind of allows, it kind of allows Benajay to get a lot more involved, but at the same time also really creates that three-on-five you were talking about where um, pretty much have to pray that Cooney hits threes, pray that Benajay can hit jumpers, um, and then hope that, you know, Christmas goes off. Uh, I don't know. I think it's too small of a sample size. I think part of the reason why today Syracuse set off to a really fast start is because Wake likes to play a really high-paced game, uh, which helps because you know, SU, as usual, is, is more comfortable in the open floor. Obviously, they missed a lot of unfortunate layups today, which should have put the game away a lot earlier. But um, I don't know. I, I think maybe we'll see a, a little bit of, uh, of different offense. We It seems like um, mostly because Caleb's not out there either, but Benajay's kind of becoming the de facto point guard down the stretch, which is definitely interesting, and I, I don't really mind it. He's a good playmaker, um, and he doesn't make too many mistakes for someone who isn't really a natural one. Um, was not a great day for him, but he also finishes at the rim about as well as anyone. As a team, we struggle with that in general. But uh, I don't know. I, I'll have to. I think we'll have to watch a couple more games to really figure out if this is like a a better, worse, or just different offense, uh, and how it looks without McCullough in there. There, and I guess uh, I want to give a quick shout to Jared who decided to join us tonight. I'm all jacked up. Yeah, you can't sleep. Pushing that bedtime back. Oh, my gosh. I guess we'll be till about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning until I go to bed. Usually around this time, I'm I'm sound asleep or ready to go. So, But uh, not tonight, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, as much as it was a heart, you know, heart-throbbing, nail-biting game, that was was a fun game to watch. It was good basketball, at least, which is something we haven't seen in a while. It's a lot of scoring, and I always look to see that. Uh, so that was, it, it that wasn't forty fifth forty five. No, it was. Not. Hope it, I hope no game is ever forty six forty five again. To be perfectly honest, because <laughs> that was that wasn't basketball. That was just something where a bunch of people threw a ball around a court, and nobody really had any interest in putting it in the basket, which is what it's designed to do. I I, I can't watch anything like that ever again. I will say the one thing about uh, this winning streak that we've had, I know that the first three were against, or you can say the first four were, first four wins were against teams that weren't very good. But uh, uh, during the winning streak, at least we've had different styles of play. Uh, Syracuse has played against different styles of play and come out on top against all of them. So that's kind of nice to see. Um, I mean, Wake Forest, they just want, they want to press. They want to go, 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 and, you know, Syracuse got off to a quick start there, um, and it looked like they kind of got gassed after going off in that quick start, and Wake Forest was able to take advantage of that, and, uh, you know, that big, tall Greek, Greek guy just went off and made every shot, which helped them get back in the game. Uh, but it was nice to see that, you know, Syracuse kind of hung in there, hung in there, and made the good enough plays at the end. I mean, Wake Forest gave them all they could. I mean, they shot really well from the floor. They played good defense. Uh, I mean, not, not good defense, but, they, you know, they, they shot really well from the floor and just took it to them. I mean, and Syracuse, you know, was able to hold them off. That was really nice to see. Obviously, uh, it took 35 points for a team Christmas, uh, a great, another great shooting night for Cooney, and Benajay stepping up in, this, uh, in overtime to do it. But it, overall... I mean that's how this team is going to win games now. So uh, they were able to they were able to do it. That was it's nice to have seven wins in a row. Seven wins in a row and what eight of the last nine. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, can't really complain about it, especially with how the team looked earlier in the year. Um, it'd be nice to not have the games end by one point uh, or two points every 
uh, you know, three out of the last four, or they were all one possession at least. But Wake's also not a, uh, you know, a team you can really sleep on too much. Uh, Louisville, uh, they took a Louisville down to the wire a bit. They, they lost by nine, but I think it was closer than that for most of the game. They, they gave Duke a stare, a stare three days later. Uh, and then they beat Georgia Tech by seven uh, three days ago. So this isn't a team that, you know, they're not going to put up, like, a bunch of wins this year, but it seems like they're playing everyone pretty tough. So yeah, I don't think this is going to be a win that looks better as the season gets goes along because Wake is better than their 99 record. They've got some bad losses in the early season, but um, as, the, as the season progresses, they're going to get better. And they're going to give some teams some issues because with their tempo, and they got some guys that can do some things too. Yeah, and they're playing a lot differently than last season. Um, so there was definitely an – it seems like there was an adjustment early in the year. I didn't watch their early games where they were losing by, you know, 30 to Arkansas. But um, they have some nice players. I mean, Miller McIntyre has been a good player for a couple of years now. Devin Thomas is a really solid big man in the ACC. Um, I wouldn't normally put Mittaloo on that list, but apparently he's, you know, just amazing sometimes. Uh, I think his – I want to look up what his – previous season high was because we were talking about before. He scored 15 in Princeton, but then he scored 6-2-3 and three in his last three games. So that's, you know, we should have probably known this guy. This is going to be the guy to uh, go off the 25th. That needs to be part of the previews from now on, Jared. Uh, it's a dangerous white but guy. Identify. Like. Yeah, you have to identify. <laughs> identify yourself. Guy who's going to drop 20-something uh, points. You're the guy that's going to go off. And it's tough to do that, though, like, because you know, I try to watch as much basketball, ACC basketball as I can. I've seen some Wake Forest games. But, like, I mean, that, that kid, the Creek kid tonight, I mean, he really hasn't done a whole lot this year. I mean, it, it, and that's the thing, too. I mean, he was just – he made he was unconscious. He couldn't – I mean, he was ready to shoot the ball as soon as he hit his fingertips. And, I mean, everyone was getting out of the circus defense or closing in on him. But, I mean, they had – you know, a half second to get ready, and he was just knocking down everything. So it's tough to sometimes get those guys because you never know when whoever's going to when that guy's going to hot. It was funny because at one point during the second half, I think Syracuse was down like seven or eight points, and I looked at the box score, and if that kid had just made like 66% of his shots, Syracuse would have led by like two points. <laughs> so it was just like that's how crazy good he was. At, at one point was, if he was just, like, even really, really good, uh, Syracuse would have been winning, uh, but he's just making everything. So, it's just crazy. Yeah, I think he made his first yeah. one, nine or ten. I think it was something like that. Yeah, first nine attempts, I think. Yeah, and then he was, like, 11 for 12. So, he hit it on three there at one point. I think the good way to scout these guys from now on is, like, step one, look through the roster profile and find the East Grounding's white kid. Step two, find the kid who has scored between two and five points a game on maybe 20% shooting. And, and then step three, just insert him as the, as the scariest person in the game because I, I think we, we've set up a pattern at this point of, of the person you would least expect has become the person you would most expect, so might as well just prep for it. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't, wouldn't have been, like, upset if I saw if Beheim was, like, Running, uh, running guys after out on him like early, but he am like, oh, this guy, uh, oh, he doesn't score ever, so he's clearly gonna, gonna probably go off unless we uh, identify him right away. So, but uh, you know, he did miss like his last couple, and they were all big misses because clearly he was feeling it. So, I guess the the odds that he would eventually cool down worked out. It was just not until like overtime. Right, and I think that's the key to any Bayhine defense, has always been. And we even saw it in a game when they never stopped being hot, the, the Wisconsin game a few years ago. Is the odds are with you if they're going to be shooting lights out for the majority of the first half, but they're going to cool off in the second half, and that's when you can pull away and trade those you know, long misses from three um, for, for twos down the floor or transition threes or whatever it may be. Um, and I think, you know, once again, the odds work themselves out for Syracuse. I mean, the kid still shot unconscious for most of the game. But that said, well, he has brought up, it was those key shots at the end that he didn't make that allowed Syracuse to pull away and win. Yeah, and it helped that we all knew where the ball was going. Also true. <laughs> 
So interesting note. Um, I know we were talking about it in our internal uh, chat room. Uh, Brian had mentioned that uh, Rocky and Christmas had up the most points since 1971 for a Syracuse center, and he would be correct. Um, old Bill Smith uh, scored 70, well, scored 47 uh, with 17 rebounds, I think, against Lafayette um, on – wow. Um, we are nearly uh, 44 years to the day. We are literally hours off. I shit you not. <laughs> <laughs> Every 44 years, the Syracuse Center yeah. will, oh, will wow. emerge. Right. Yeah, for me, for, yeah, that, that that's insane. Because um, I didn't, I didn't see the date when uh, when Brian was alerting us to that. But no, that that's that's nuts. I, I missed um, it a little bit um, before I came on, so I was writing a quick recap for the website. Um, do you, I mean, do you guys discuss like how? fun it is to watch Christmas now and even even Cooney now because at this point you can see both of them have this like F you attitude like they know that the only two guys on the team that's going to make them win like make Syracuse have a chance to win or pull out a victory so they both have this like ego going on now which is fantastic and I mean Christmas who when he started as a freshman and sophomore who was like the gentle giant that you know, Beheim was always like, you know, he's just too friendly. He needs to get a little bit more angry. Every time he gets the ball, he goes up, he makes a basket. He's, he's pissed off because he didn't get the foul call or he, you know, he's just like owning up against the guy he's against. And it's just a lot of fun to see. And he's, is, and how many, I mean, it's not just like he's got one go-to move. He's got a bunch, he's got a, three, four, five different moves that is really are really working for him. And not only that, he he's hitting free throws. And that's huge if you're a big man. Um, and that's just a lot of fun to watch. And it's a weapon that many other teams don't have. And that's really going to bode well, I think, for Syracuse, especially against the teams that they should be uh, in, these, in these games, like, you know, like the Wake Forest, the Florida States, the Boston Colleges. It, it should help them a lot because no one has a guy that – they can match up with them, and that's hopefully can help Syracuse, you know, earn that, earn enough victories to get that into the void bit. Yeah, Christmas definitely has something. He has proverbial like twinkle in his eye now, where he definitely looks like next level more aggressive than he has in the last three years. Cooney always looks like he's ready to just stick a dagger in someone. Um, like he's constant Cooney face now, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, those two clearly they're just playing with chips on their shoulders, which is great because every night they're bringing it now. Which you know, I feel like Cooney's always been pretty fiery, but Christmas, like you said, was always pretty laid back and one of those guys where you couldn't really tell how he was feeling on the court. Like I'm sure he was always playing hard, but it wasn't like he was going out there and he didn't look like he was, you know, overly aggressive or anything. This year he he still you know he seems pretty quiet, but He's definitely has a different kind of fire. And maybe that just comes from confidence that he knows he's the best player on the court most nights. Oh, I mean, Cooney's got some, uh, some Devendorf face going now. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan <laughs> of just that, that Devendorf. I'm going to stand on tables and yell at the garden swagger. He's, he's, uh, he's rolling with lately. I mean, Cooney definitely has the attitude now. I mean, He's got an eight or nine game stretch now where he's just been fantastic. But even early in the season when he was struggling, you could tell, like, even when he was releasing it, you know, he had a lean or so, or it just looked a little off. He wasn't sure if it was going in. Now it just seems like every shot he takes, he thinks it's going in. And that's, you know, that's the huge, that's a big thing for a shooter. Every, you know, you have to have that, you know, attitude that no matter how many times you're going to release it, the ball's going to go in. And, man, he made it. That one, that corner three he made late in the game, I think it was, was it in regulation at the end of the or overtime? It was just unreal. I mean, he there was no way he should have shot that. You know, but the Syracuse's only option at the time, and it was right through the net. It was just, it was that's you just look at that and you're like, oh yeah, all right, that's cool. <laughs> that's he's cold blooded. 
Yeah. He's cold blooded. It's he's already like erased most of our memory of last year's ACC struggles because the guy has been um, an absolute assassin um, from outside. It doesn't matter the the situation, the pressure, the score. Um, he has just been you know completely lights out, and this is what we've needed. Um, and you know, without I mean, while Christmas is obviously the most important player on this team, um, without Cooney, we're still losing um, a good portion of these games this season. It's it's great because, um, like you uh, like you said, he's even even when he went through a little bit of a slump a couple of games ago, where he was like four for thirteen through a couple of games, we didn't hear it on Twitter. Like people weren't freaking out about Cooney falling into a slump because it felt like oh he'll get out of it, and then sure enough he's like twelve for twenty one or something. Uh, it might be a little more than that now, but I sh- they showed that. Uh, late in the game on the, on the stats, and he's just been shooting insane. So it, it, there's there's no longer a worry that after a couple games he's going to disappear and and lose everything. That's spot on. Um, oh, breaking news: um, Duke's probably going to lose to Miami tonight by a lot. <laughs> the two, the two in a row. They're down. Right? They're down fifteen. <laughs> yeah, they're down fifteen right now. Canes uh, are. Canes uh, are giving them hell. Miami's a weird well, team. Like they they started off so hot and then they lost a couple bad games, and now they're they're surging back. They've had a couple of nice wins. They're, I mean, beating Duke maybe Duke's not as good as we thought like a week ago, but it's still a really talented team. Uh, we're really low for at fifteen and fifteen right now, and uh, they're about to lose by double digits. So Miami's uh, I mean, something to be reckoned with, even though they did lose to Green uh, Green Bay and Eastern Kentucky. Providence is not a bad loss, but like a pretty strange team. Yeah, they Larry Nagus, Larry Larry Nagus is a really good coach. Like they're they're nothing to be taken lightly. I mean, this is also just a case of Duke playing some some hot garbage defense for for two straight games now. Um, I mean, that NC State game was was a disaster uh, for them, and and I know Jay Billis got on the horn with folks after that game and, and seemed very surprised on ESPN uh, to see defensive lapses enough to give uh, NC State what was it, 85 or 87 points. Um, and this game is probably going to end at, at the same final score or, or even, even higher for Miami. Um, this is, I think, a team that, for the most part, like it has talent but doesn't have the, you know, just like lights-out shooters. I mean, team shooting 50% from three right now. Um, I mean, they've gotten to the line 24 times, but – Overall, they're only shooting about 50% on the game. Um, it's just, this is a Duke team that suddenly, and like I saw a lot of critiques of Okafor, now after, you know, raving about him at the beginning, everyone's suddenly saying that the guy has a lot, a lot of defensive lapses, um, and he looks really vulnerable on that end. Um, I'm curious to see what happens to Duke now. Um, you know, it, as, as people kind of have enough tape to really start exploiting, uh, you know, some of their faults. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I really don't. I'm I'm unconvinced that there's a great team in college basketball this year. Kentucky should have lost at least one of those two games last week, and, and obviously, mark of a good team is being able to win those kind of games. But they they got very lucky that they beat those two. That they beat both those teams, and those are not those are not even like second tier SEC teams generally. A uh, and M looks at their best their best player. Uh, Ole Miss is not a great team. So Kentucky. This isn't a great offensive bunch. They're really good on defense, but a team that shoots well can, can knock them out, I think. And I, they're not going to undefeated. That's absurd. Duke, we've seen they have issues. I honestly think right now, I, if I had a vote, I'd be putting Virginia at number one. I think they're just the most consistent group. But I don't think they're a great team. I think they're really well coached and, and have a bunch of experienced players. But college basketball is incredibly wide open this year, even, even more so than, than it usually is, I think, despite the fact that people thought you know Duke and Kentucky were such a cut above. I mean, in my opinion, I still think Kentucky and Duke are still the top two teams to beat. I mean, I watched a lot of both their games, and when when both those teams are on, um, I, they're just remarkable to watch. Um, I mean, teams go through slumps. It's a long season, and they're you know nice. They're seventeen to twenty year old kids. They're not going to be in sync all the time. Uh, and you know, when I've seen Kentucky on, they're the best defensive team I've seen in a long time. I've seen Duke on. They're the most well-coached, talented team I've seen in a while. 
And it, these comes in ebbs and flows, and we see it with Syracuse teams quite frequently. Uh, you know, last year was an example of that. We were, you know, 25 wins hanging on by our skin of our teeth, and then just goes down the crapper. Uh, it, it happens. So, um, I mean, to me, I feel, still think Kentucky Duke is one and two. Uh, but, you know, Virginia, like Dan said, Virginia's been steady, and they're going to be that steady rock as the season continues. Uh, they're going to drop maybe a game or two, um, but Virginia's going to be that steady rock as the season continues uh, going into March. And then, you know, like you said, it's just – I mean – we, we live in a world, guys, where UConn won two of the last three NCAA t- tournaments, and you could argue well, you could argue that those two teams that won it were e- not even close to a top 25 team heading into March. It's just the way it goes. I mean, especially nowadays in college hoops, when if you're clicking at the right time and the other teams are just not as good as you at that time, uh, you know, you, you can beat them. I mean, like, like Dan said, there isn't, like, the separation between the great teams and the good teams like there used to be. Um, if you're a great team now, you know, you're just a little bit of a step ahead about those good teams. But, yeah, in any given day, anybody can beat anybody. So, um, it's Caltech's going to be a lot of fun this year. There's going to be a lot of upsets. and uh, But I still think it's going to come come down between how well Duke and Kentucky are playing by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah they're going to be guys to beat. I just don't think that they're like this historically great team that people have been trying to uh, build them up as. Maybe they'll end up being that. They're, they're also very young, which is uh, can swing either way for them. Well, no doubt. I mean, Kentucky, their last two games, their shooting percentage is like historically low. Um, I saw a guy, I can't remember the exact stat, but like their shooting percentage is like in the low 30s uh, as a team in the last two games that they were in overtime. And it's like historically low, and you know, like Dan said, any other conference possibly, um, other than maybe Conference USA and those volunteer SEC schools, do uh, Kentucky's not getting out of those games alive, uh, shooting that bad, badly. So, well, you remember too, it is, and then you know, Calipari addressed this the other day. It was kind of an experimentation, like over Christmas, he said, "Hey, you know, we're really defensively minded. Why don't we focus on some offense?" when you have basically nine individual players focusing on offense, what happens is you might score a lot, but you're also going to have a ton of defensive lapses and, um, you know, you're going to have a, a real lack of uh, attention to detail on defense. And I think what we saw tonight um, against Missouri, I know the team was, you know, winning handily the last I checked. Um, you, you saw the team focus back on team defense and really kind of get back to what has made them such a dominant force. I mean, I don't think, this will be a team that we look back on as one of the best ever. I think that they will be great. I think that they could very easily win it all. Um, not to say they will. We've seen teams just as good, just as talented uh, crap out in the tournament all the time, um, especially uh, in recent years. But you know what? Like If they win it all, I, I think that – I just don't think it's going to come with all the accolades of – of being the best team ever and being, if anything, it'll be what was supposed to happen. And I guess it's a rarity for a team expected to win it all and expected to run the table um, to ever be seen for what they are, at least in the immediate term, if they pull it off. I'm I'm looking here at the, the, small transcripts of Beheim's presser. Did he reference the Villanova game tonight? I believe so. I he about Caleb. <laughs> Man, he, he's a guy who never holds grudges, huh? Yep, and Miami just beat Duke by 16. 90-74 yeah, I mean, at Cameron Indoor. Separated by a 30-something game winning streak at Cameron. Uh, winning streak at Cameron. I think so. Yeah, that's, that's what the it should be close to the longest in the nation. I know the home home winning streak there. That's insane. Um, all right, let's get to halftime quick, and then we can kind of transition. Um, if we don't want to talk about Clemson, to be honest, screw Clemson. I don't really care about them as a basketball team or the university. Um, 
So we might just pass over that. You're shining us up for a loss. You know that. Oh, we have fun the next. Okay. I was. I thought they were like beating someone remarkable. But uh, oh no, no, they lost by 23 to Virginia tonight. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we could probably skip them. I remember the last time we did a podcast. I think it was um, where we skipped over a team last year, and that was the uh, Boston College. That didn't work out so well. Oh yeah, you're right. You are right. <laughs> I remember. Oh boy. <laughs> that was uh, that was bad. <laughs> Maybe we do talk about Clemson. Um, anyway, uh, we, we could just give them their due at least that they. Yeah. You know, yeah. This. I'll do a little little halftime read of just uh, sponsorship notes. We'll skip over beer this time around. Um, I had plenty for my birthday, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, if you want to see more, go to my untapped page. Go to Dan's. Those links are in the post. Um, but I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Audible.com, our sponsor for today's uh, podcast. Um, as you all know, Audible.com is a leading provider of digital audio entertainment. You can uh, check out over, like, 150,000 audiobooks over on audible.com and you can get one free with a 30-day trial if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash noonsmagician. Um, and I got two recommendations. Decided to just go from the uh, hey, this book is a movie category. Um, we got Unbroken, which uh, Angelina Jolie turned into a movie recently. Uh, we also have Wild, which is... Uh, Reese Witherspoon's latest vehicle for another Oscar win. Um, so, yeah, those two are on there if, uh, if people want to read them or listen to other people reading them to them. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to Clemson so we don't jinx ourselves, followed by some bracketology talk and some college football playoff talk to close this out. Uh, so, yeah, Clemson, they lost again today. Quick. They, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, so not, well, exactly. we'll, we'll just do this real quick. Nine and six overall, one and two in the conference. Jerron uh, uh, Blossom game has scored double figures in 12 straight. Well, I can't. Has scored in double figures 12 straight games and leads the Tigers in scoring at 14.0 points per game and at 8.1 rebounds per game. That may have been snapped tonight because uh, the ACC pressure release came out today, but that that's Something to look forward to. Uh, let's just go through it real was quick. Where I, what's that? It was snap tonight. He had nine points oh, and ten boards tonight. Oh, man. What's he doing? I'd like to say Blossom Game is a great last name. Agreed. Yes, that is, I'm a big fan. It is fantastic. I will say. Wait, I will. You know what? If he was a, imagine if he was a florist. All right. Yeah, let's see. I would have the strongest really Blossom cool. Game ever. <laughs> Let's see here. Clemson does not shoot the three very well. They are third last in the ACC at 29%. At the time, no one in the ACC shoots the three well. No. <laughs> Every team that plays so far, they're like, oh, they're like 303rd in the country. I'm like, is that just the ACC at the bottom? That sounds uh, bad. They're in the, pa- the middle of the pack in rebounding. They block some shots. Their third and block shots in the conference. Hmm. Uh, turnover margin, not very good. Uh, minus 187, that is worst in the conference. So they turn the ball over a lot. So we've seen. Uh, oh boy, they're in trouble against us. Yeah, that's, that's a good trend that we've seen. We've played. Are we, all right, guys, get this. So the turnover teams in the HEC, we've played them all. We're all coming up. We've played Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Florida State. And Boston College, they're all 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 in the conference when it comes to turnovers. So we're getting those guys out of the way. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what their scoring is here real quick. They are dead last in scoring at 54.7 points per game in the conference. And scoring defense, they allow 62.3 points per game. So they're not going to score. They're going to play decent defense. They're not going to shoot threes. Uh, They're going to turn the ball over. So – that, that's their due right there. So, yeah, sounds like I'm a team therapy should be handily. We'll win by four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm looking at stat line. Blossom game has gotten pretty fat on like terrible non-conference teams. Um, I mean, 
Guys only had double-digit rebounds once in ACC play through four games. Um, he has managed to score um, for the most part. He's had 13, 15, 18, and 9 in his four ACC games thus far. Um, he can hit from three, but I wouldn't bank on it. He's shooting about 29%. Um, I just, yeah, you look at these rebounding numbers, and for a 6-7 forward, um, he's only about 215. This is not the type of guy that we have to worry about um, on the inside uh, with Christmas. Christmas is athletic enough. He's not a bulky center. He's a very athletic, lanky uh, center who obviously has added uh, some great strength this offseason. So I, I don't really see blocking games as the type of matchup problem um, that maybe some other centers uh, could have or have, uh, you know, presented themselves to be. Uh, again, like Dan said, though, just because all the numbers say Syracuse by 20 doesn't necessarily mean it. Um, right. Well, Clemson got, uh, right. Well, Clemson got blown out tonight and got blown out against North Carolina. Um, they also managed to beat Pitt and gave Louisville a hell of a game about a week ago, uh, lost by six um, at Louisville. So. That's they something. did beat Arkansas earlier this uh, earlier in the season of non-conference, and Arkansas was ranked at the time. But uh, Arkansas is a decent team. And they have lost their records, though, so there's that. Uh, other than that, that's all I got. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, I'm, I'm most worried about Riley McGillen. Uh, he only he's only played in three games for a total of six <laughs> minutes and is one for two. And I'm fairly confident he's going to drop 18 points. <laughs> he's going to do that. sounds about right. Yeah. So, so, so we have to him. He should have heard He's a walk on. Um, <laughs> he might only get in the last like five minutes of series. He's up like 12, and he's going to tie the game. <laughs> now, I'm hitching my wagon to, uh, to Patrick Brooks. I think Patrick Brooks is, is, is has all the all the hallmarks of, of that guy. Um, he's played in six games. He uh, he played six minutes against Virginia and managed to go one of two from three. He had a foul and an assist. Uh, <laughs> this has that guy written all over it. Patrick I'm waiting Brooks. for it to fill up, and uh, on the other team is just Mookie Jones with like a, a villainous mustache, ready to shoot all the threes. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm, I'm kind of banking on it. It's going to be like Niagara next year. 32-year-old Mookie Jones suits up and just starts <laughs> dropping three for Colgate. <laughs> All right, so moving away from Syracuse. Um, let's do – I know Dan and I started doing this last week. A little uh, very, very light bracketology. Um, I decided to go to teamrankings.com, uh, do a little – um, browsing through their uh, projected seeds and uh, looking at those, um, I see an opportunity for Syracuse. Uh, right now, they have this as an 11 seed. Um, so we'd be playing. We'd have a tough bracket. But moving past that, teams I see in an Elite Eight situation. Um, I'm definitely going to go with Kentucky. I'm definitely going to go with Virginia. Um, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. And I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Maryland as, as, as an Elite Eight to Final Four team, potentially. Um, Ohio State, I think, is also um, a contender there. Uh, and then I think there's a, there's a lot of, 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 uh, of a jumbled mess um, from that point on. So I think that's like my, my five contenders right now. Um, doesn't mean they're the five best teams into the five teams that could have a, a decent path to the final four. Maryland's pretty crazy. I mean, they, I expected them to have a tough year if only because they lost like a bunch of contributors to transfer. Like it seemed like that they were kind of a sinking ship. And then Des Wells has emerged as like a, a legit star. Mello Trimble is one of the best freshmen in the country. And they're just, they're doing incredibly well in the Big Ten, uh, so good for them. Um, I know we cast dispersions fairly frequently towards Maryland, but that that team could have been kind of a disaster this year, and they are very much the opposite. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think Maryland 
Maryland is also benefiting from the lack of familiarity with their, their new conference opponents, uh, which I do think helped us. I think it helped us a little bit last year as well. The Big Ten also seems to have created its reason basketball success for uh, bowl wins, so. <laughs> which, which, which they, you know, it worked out. I mean, you know, basketball conference, football conference, whatever, Big Ben. You, uh, you do you. I, uh, I didn't really care what happened in the college football playoff last night. This also provides a nice segue. Uh, <laughs> didn't care, but that said, um, it was a little entertaining to see Oregon and Brand and everything just kind of you know, go right to shit and burst into flames uh, come the end. And the fact that, that Oregon had the final punt of the 2014 season um, will will probably be something I'll remember for a while so, for some odd reason because it makes no sense. It was uh, Ohio State just, again, such a ridiculous story. That team was so bad in that Virginia Tech law. It didn't look all that inspiring in a lot of other games throughout the year. Indiana gave him a run. Indiana's pretty bad. Um, and then they they have all the quarterback nonsense. And then they just started destroying people. And it, it's funny because they really did the, the selection committee a solid by making it very – like every game, all three games in the playoff were definitive. And you really couldn't argue against Ohio State afterwards. Because they beat Alabama handily, they beat the team that beat Florida State handily, uh, and and Oregon, you know, knocked out Florida State without much of an effort. So it it was uh, it was fun to see the things play out. Like it didn't end up just going down to the two teams that would have been in it uh, in the BCS. Um, and even though it was it wasn't very close, I thought it was a pretty fun game overall. And just watching Ezekiel Elliott run, that dude is fantastic. And I already I saw some man people, ball last night. Yeah, I already saw some people like, oh, he's from New York. Like, why couldn't we get him? Like, shut up. He wasn't gonna. Well, that's, if you <laughs> we weren't gonna get night, him. That's why we didn't recruit him. That's why we didn't get him. Because he's so good. And Ohio State's an incredible program. And we're not there. And we're probably never gonna be a program that gets those kind of guys consistently. So sorry, uh, Syracuse fans who think that every player in the Northeast should go to Syracuse. No, I mean, Elliot was, was terrifyingly good last night. Um, Cardell Jones was terrifyingly good last night. And I think those two players um, obviously are going are to rack up the accolades for it. Um, I would love for uh, my own New York Giants to draft Elliot in 2016 uh, <laughs> when he's ready to go. But who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think what really deserves credit here is, is, I think, surprisingly, one of the narratives that everyone played up beforehand being the difference maker, and that was, um, the the trenches battle and then how Ohio State just completely um, completely had Oregon in terms of size and that was able to negate Oregon's speed. Um, I think you saw it against Alabama too, and Alabama's a big team um, up front on both ends. And Ohio State's lines were just able uh, to beat them down. And I think where you normally see you know Oregon hang around for three quarters and then just completely put on the gas because teams are, are completely wiped out um, come the fourth, you saw Ohio State be able to pretty much, you know, step on their throats. And, and that, to me, I guess, is the most surprising thing, was you never thought you'd see Oregon run out of gas the way they did. And, and it was it was crazy to watch. It was crazy to see um, Oregon basically get a slowed-down version of its own medicine um, with Ohio State. Um I mean, where Ohio State beats you isn't with a pass. Ohio State beats you by just completely bruising the hell out of you. And they'll play at speed, but they'll play at speed with much bigger athletes than Oregon does. And that's where I think the difference lies is that you didn't really see the Buckeyes wearing down against you know smaller, shiftier guys that that Ohio, that Oregon has at the playmaking position versus Ohio State, which really just had battering rams at quarterback and running back in particular. Yeah, I mean, Elliott has, what, 36 carries, and it never really looked like it affected him. He was running strong well into the fourth quarter. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, Oregon's not even of a team. I know there was that bit of that, uh, you know, people who don't watch them often will say they're not a physical team. Like, they were plenty physical in Florida State, which is a, a pro-style a pro team that 
beat teams up. Uh, but Ohio State was just on another level, like you said, in Alabama and then in Oregon. So, you know, credit to and, – and Urban Meyer obviously just did a fantastic job. The team was so well-prepared. Oregon's offense, aside from, like, the long touchdown early in the uh, second half, really didn't seem to phase Ohio State. They knew it was coming. They they weren't freaked out by it or really affected by it, um, even though they said afterwards it was tough to play against that pace. But you wouldn't know it watching the game. Nope, I, I would definitely tend to agree. Um Jared, anything from you on the national championship before we uh, before we sign off for the night? Yeah, my 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 thoughts on last night was really it it just goes to prove that there's no right or wrong way to win a football game, right? I mean, it for the last year or two or three, you know, Oregon's kind of set the trend in the fast pace, up tempo, you know, spread it out, which I love. I, I think it's innovative, it's fun, go for it on fourth down. It's fantastic. It's a different way of looking at the game and trying to win it, which is fantastic. We all like that stuff. But in the end, there's no right or wrong way how to win a football game. It all really comes down to just executing your game plan and beating the crap out of the other guy. Or, I mean, just think about last night. Oregon takes a 7 nothing lead right off the bat. They force, I don't know if it was a 3 and out, but they force a Ohio State punt. Oregon gets the ball again. They're looking with all the momentum uh, they they have, and they get a drop pass to go three and out. All right, so if they make that, if they catch the ball, they probably continue their momentum. Again, they get an opportunity. I think it was like a tie ball game at because I think uh, Ohio State scored, and then Oregon got a chance to go up another touchdown, uh, but a guy drops a long big 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 play. I mean, those are two huge drops that they have right in the first quarter there that really could have been, you know, turning points in Oregon's, like, execution. You know, they want to keep the, you know, the the gas or the pedal going, and they can't because they're not executing where Ohio State, they're getting the opportunity of just running the ball right down Oregon's throat, and that's exactly what they want to do because Oregon's giving them the opportunities. Um, so it, it was just a what it was, it was interesting to see in that standpoint uh, when it comes to the overall big picture thing. Um, I was rooting for the Ducks. My brother's a huge Oregon Ducks fan, so it was kind of disappointing for him to watch them lose again in the national championship. But uh, overall, the playoffs itself was a huge success. I can't wait for it next year. I don't know if I'm in favor of them expanding it to eight games. That's another conversation. I think I like the four-team format with the New Year's Day and then the national championship. Um, but uh, it was a lot of fun, the, the way the playoff worked out. I'd agree. And uh, I think that's a good place to end it, actually. Um, so, yeah, thank you for this uh, late-night edition of uh, Turn News and Absolute Podcast, guys. Much appreciate you hopping on right after the uh, thrilling Syracuse win. Anytime. Glad we could get No, in. I can sleep. Yeah, uh, as, as weird as the timing works out, this actually uh, – I feel like a post game actually is kind of fun. It actually does give us at least a little bit more, um, you know, immediate term things to talk about um, versus just kind of a lot of reviewing and previewing and all that. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, this is always schedule permitting. Um, but yeah, that was Dan and Jared. I'm John. Uh, thank everybody for tuning in for, to uh, Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Um, sponsored by Audible.com, as we've mentioned time and time again. Uh, you can check us out on Blog Talk, on iTunes. You can rate, review, uh, do whatever it is uh, that makes you happy and also gives us a good standing in your heart and the Internet. Um, and, yeah, go Orange tonight. And uh, Looking forward to the next game against Clemson. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, 
you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.